Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week is a fun one. We get to hear from somebody whose name has come up several times over the last four years. I mean, he's really the poster boy for that late 70s, early 80s, new wave, power pop type sound. It's the great Greg Kinn. Now, as everyone pretty much remembers, he had a bunch of hits back in those days, like this song right here, Jeopardy, the breakup song and whatnot. He comes out of the Bay Area in the 70s, and really, if you're unfamiliar with his work, that early stuff sounds a little more kind of jammy, San Francisco, hippie vibe. But over the years, it starts to sort of evolve into that kind of skinny tie, the knack, power pop, new wave type sound. I love his stuff. I think we all do. Well, when the uh, in the mid-80s, when the career started to sort of wane, he, on a lark, uh, accepted sort of a temporary position in radio that ended up taking the next couple of decades of his life. That's really what, he's, what he was focused on for a long time, if you've ever wondered where Greg Kinn went. He also writes a lot of novels, and uh, now he's finally kind of getting back into music again. In fact, a few years ago, he released his new album in, I think, something like 18 years or something like that, called Rekindled. And it's great. Sounds just like the old stuff. And now he's back on tour and he's doing, you know, some of the 80s shows. He's doing shows with people like Tommy Two-Tone and Rick Springfield and that type stuff. Uh, So we talk about this whole evolution, where he went, where his sound came from. We talk about when Joe Satriani, of all people, was in the Greg Kinn band for a little while before he went on to become, you know, the great guitar noodling god that he is today. Anyway, I hope you guys enjoy this. I really did. I uh, I like him a lot. I always have. And I feel like in this conversation really starts to come to life when I start asking him about the stories behind some of his lesser known hits and songs. It almost feels like you can feel him perking up a little bit. Anyway, I love him. I hope you guys are reminded of some of his great work. Uh, he called me from his home in Southern California. Well, Greg Kidd, as I mentioned, uh, your name comes up here a lot because... Uh, when I think about like sort of the kings of power pop or the guys who really uh, made it what it was, there's you, there's like the knack, and uh, you guys are sort of at the height or at the point, the highest point of this pinnacle. But one thing I've always wanted to ask you, Greg Kid, and, and I'm sure you get asked this all the time, why did you disappear when you disappeared? It seemed like Greg Kin should still be out there somewhere, and yet he yeah, kind of faded away. Yeah, I, Why? I I had a real good head of steam too. Yeah. I mean, I I could have uh, you know I could have steamrolled into a into a lifetime gig there, but you know what happened was I got into radio. Yeah. And well, now- I started doing I started doing the morning show on K Fox Radio. And when I started, it was around, I think it was like 96, maybe 95, 96. It was a little mom and pop kind of a classic rock station. Mm-hmm. And then when, when I got, and it, it kept changed hands about a million times. It, it wound up with Clear Channel and uh, iHeartRadio and everything. We, we wound, it up, wound up in a penthouse studio in downtown San Francisco with four other stations and you know it was a whole complete different Mm -hmm. thing and I was doing the morning show so I was showing up you know in San Francisco when it was still dark you know what I mean I I I was like the first guy in the parking lot and Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, it was a lot of fun. I mean, and I did it for 18 years. See, now that's the killer. For 18 years, I didn't tour. I mean, I would do the one-off, you know, here and there, but I couldn't tour, obviously. Mm-hmm. They were they were paying me a lot of money, and, uh, you know, and they yeah, they were that. being, yeah, you know, and, and you know, there, there's a lot of respect there. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the time I left K-Fox, a- after 18 years, I realized, my God, I haven't toured in 18 mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. So uh, we've been fixing that. We did a lot of touring last year, uh, especially in the second part of the year. And I did a tour with uh, Rick Springfield. Yeah. And you know, you're talking about power pop. You know, we yeah. did. I, I got a. And as a matter of fact, uh, we just firmed up a couple of uh, more dates with Springfield. Awesome. Uh, with Ed, me and Eddie Money and Perfect. Rick, and it. Yeah, it's a you know, and I've I've known Eddie is one of my oldest friends. Really? In <laughs> in the music business, when I first came to L.A., I before I went to Berkeley, uh-huh. I was in L.A. for about a half a year. Just when Eddie was in L.A. with this band called the Rockets, mm. they were a great band. Uh, and, you know, they were fishing, you know, for a record contract. And sure. I they had a killer demo. I don't know why they, they didn't make it. But Eddie signed with uh, Bill Graham Management, and then the rest was history. Yeah. And then he started moving up the charts. But, you know, I've known Ed. God, he was the second guy that I ever met in California. Really? We, the, I, the, what I had come in there, it was I was crashing on a friend of mine's couch. You know, that's, that's usually how you, how you do L.A., yep. especially when you're young. This was back in, geez, 71, 72, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, they took me to, uh, they, my friends took me out to, you know, I said, I wanted to see bands. They said, "Oh, you got to see the Rockets. They're they're really good." So I met Eddie that first night, and we've been friends ever since. Crazy. I still talk to him about once a week. Oh, way. I love the guy. <laughs> you know, he's if you uh, you know when you talk about people that are really deserving mm-hmm. to be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. uh, I would like to recommend Eddie first. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm a one man. Uh, rooting yeah. section here but i really like to see him get in the, in the rock and roll hall of fame he's certainly done a lot he guys played a million gigs yep yep uh i love him we, we played a we played a bunch of gigs last year with ed you know he's really? just a great guy that is great um yeah I've, I've, i love eddie and that's so interesting i never would have pegged you two as being buddies but that is such Great color to this story. Now, the the main question I have, though, is that I had heard that you went into radio, and that seemed perfect for you because you, I, you know, judging by the videos, the old videos, you looked like you had the personality and the charm and the wit and all those things. Did you get into radio because the music career was starting to lag, or and see? Did you see this as like? Oh, I'll switch careers, or was it just something to do as a lark? Well, you know, I, it, that's a good question because at the time, I was really worn down from constant touring. You know, yeah. at that point, I had to keep a cash flow going. You know, when, when you're the band leader, you, I mean, like everybody's saying, "Come on, we need a gig, we need a gig." Yeah, and uh, I, you know, I was just 
burned out. Yeah. And uh, when when the uh, it was funny because I I was filling in uh, the the station. I was I filled in for a friend of mine. He was doing seven to midnight. He went to Hawaii for a week. And while he was, you know, while he was in Hawaii, I was taking over his show <laughs> and they offered me the gig. And I did that for about six months. And then one day, you know, and this is like, you know, I was kind of, still, it was just a hobby kind of right. thing. You know, I wasn't really, and I was doing seven to midnight. It was really, it was mellow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and just, you know, it's seven to midnight's great because there's nobody else in the station. You're sure. just alone. It's great. Right. It is. And, yeah. uh, I, I remember, uh, they had, uh, Imus in the morning. Uh-huh. Don Imus, and they've had him on for years, and they were canceling him for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. And the guy said uh, his name, John, was our uh, was our was our general manager, and he said, "Hey, look, we're looking for a a morning show, but you know, you want to do you want to do it until we find another morning show." And I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll do it for a couple of weeks." You know, that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't get up at 4 a.m. Forget right. it, you know. <laughs> You're a rock star. And, uh, You're just going to bed. Time went by. And, <laughs> and then uh, John calls me into his office and he goes, yeah, you know, we we really like what you're doing in the morning and we'd like to offer you the gig. Mm. And I said, you know, geez, John, I, I, I'm really flattered. God bless you. I, I love it but I can't get up in the morning. I can't get up at 4 a.m. So he's got a little piece of paper in front of him, and he writes a figure down on the piece of paper. He slides it across the desk. He goes, would you do it for this much money? And I remember looking at the paper going, what time do you need me to be here in the morning, John? It's all and it, it was basically, I mean, I was basically, uh, you know, my salary jumped like, you know, times yeah. three. Yeah. And, you know, suddenly I was doing the morning show and then it was all great because yeah. once we, once we got rolling and, you know, we constantly had great ratings, which meant we had a lot of sponsors and, yeah. you know, was, I was driving a Corvette and, you know, sure. wearing leather pants, you know what I mean? That's the dream. It's so funny to me that things got better financially when you went, when you became a morning radio guy. Than yeah, the yeah, isn't that star. something? Yeah, it's not yeah. supposed to work that yeah, way. Yeah, well, you know, I, I'll say this. During the, during the uh, what you would call the, the salad years, mm-hmm. you know, and I'd say from 81 to 84, 85, uh, I was, you know, I was making tons of money as a rock star. Uh, the problem was I, I'm, I'm a creative guy mm-hmm. and I'm always doing something. Yeah. I'm always pushing the boundaries. And I remember 96 when I first started doing the, uh, doing the morning show, suddenly I was no longer on the road. And I was home all the time and I started writing, you know, I'd been always been a writer. I started writing novels, you know, seriously and getting Mm -hmm. them published. Mm -hmm. You know, I got a, I got a a literary agent and uh, my first novel horror show, which came out in 96 was nominated for a Bram Stoker award, which is big. That's crazy. For best, best first novel. And Yeah. yeah, I really, I loved it. So, 
Uh, and then I made four albums, uh, no, four, four, four <laughs> uh, novels, four novels for uh, tour books. Yeah. Uh, and then that, uh, and then I, God, I, I forgot. I've had, it's basically, I've had a million publishers at yeah. this point. Yeah. But uh, I just, you know, I'm working on one right now that's, it's just great. It's going to be my next novel probably come out maybe uh in the spring of next year that's amazing uh also i'm working on a on a I, I, believe it or not i've written a sitcom what a sitcom really? yeah for tv <laughs> and i actually i've got i've got people interested people want this sitcom? and i might I, can, I i can't you know it's such a it's such a weird yeah. but it's such a great idea this is the kind of idea that is like a franchise. It'll go on forever yeah. and ever. Good for you. So I came up with this idea of rock and roll retirement home. Oh, perfect. Yes. Because I'm sitting around backstage, yes. you know, last last summer we're playing all these festivals. I'm sitting there, you know, it's me and Eddie Money and, uh -huh. you know, uh, Tommy Two-Tone and, Yep. You know, all of my old buddies, and we're all, you know, we're all crotchety old men now. <laughs> and it really, you know, and I thought to myself, the only thing that, that this needs is a cohesive story. So I came up with uh, what I thought was a really a funny, because like, really, who's funnier yeah. than old rock stars? Oh, no you know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the humor of the entire show, the, the entire thing is... In in the first show, in the climactic scene, they throw the TV out the window, <laughs> and the and, and the guy <laughs> the guy that owns the house comes running in and he goes, "What are you doing?" Yeah, says, we just threw the TV out the window, and it was absolutely magnificent. <laughs> He goes, you can't do that, man. You guys are not rock stars anymore. Who's gonna take? Who's gonna pay for that TV? That was a flat screen TV. Did you notice? You know, and then yeah. so, and oh, and so the, the guys look. The head guy talks to me. He says, "He says, uh, do you let me see if I get this straight now? Do you? Because you know he's an English guy. He says, do you? Are you telling me that throwing TVs out the window is somehow wrong? <laughs> and he goes, yes, it's wrong. It's especially wrong when it's not your TV. <laughs> so, so you can see, and then he's like, lining is a, I guess next you're going to say that groupies and limousines are wrong too. <laughs> said, yes, that's right. You're not, you can't do that stuff oh, anymore. That's genius. That's genius. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, you're good. This is going to be yeah. great. And you know what I got the idea from? When I was doing the morning show, I talked to everybody. You know, sure. I, I did interviews. Probably every every morning there was a, a, a new interview. And I talked to some really wild people. I mean, like Ozzy Osbourne. Oh, goodness. You know, I'm, doing, mm -hmm. I'm talking to Ozzy the morning of the night he's doing OzFest. Do you remember the show uh, uh, King of the Hill? Sure, yeah. Remember Boomhauer? Yes. <laughs> you remember how Boom? You could only hear, figure out one or, out of three words. Yes. Oh, well, that's, that's what that's what Ozzy was like to yeah, me. You know, he's, 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 you know and I, I would I asked him about something about you know how about how the time one time he scared uh, Tommy 
uh, in Black Sabbath when they were recording at uh, Headley Gorge or someplace like that. And they they invaded, they made him think that the place was was haunted, <laughs> and he, and he, and I said, well, how how did that go down? And he goes, and he just started talking, and I understand nothing except <laughs> one word. He says, oh, you know, those out of there, you know, see, uh, chemically induced. <laughs> and all I heard was chemically induced. Anyway, he's one of the one of the guys, one of the guys, and so like. <laughs> You know, he's he's yeah. kind of like got the repeat speech impediment, which that is, is just basically it's like if you've ever had uh, if well half the rock stars I talk to are like that. So yeah. I yeah. shouldn't say I shouldn't name names, but certainly <laughs> Ozzy's one of them. I bet, I bet. Oh, that's a blast! That that should work. Um, I want to ask yeah, you about. I, you know, I tell you, it's a great idea, it man. It is. It's genius. And uh, I, I, you know, I, I really, I'm, uh, I've been writing it. You know, when you're writing episodic, first of all, I wrote the thing as a as a as a feature movie. So I had like a two hour movie which whacked down to like four episodes of half hour sitcom. Right. Because I was rewriting it for in the skit sitcom format. But geez, man, you know it's a whole other world out there. Yeah. You know, you're 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 reading the thing and going, I got to punch this up with jokes. But you know what? Just the guys being themselves was the joke. It was like yeah. a lot. It was kind of like a little spinal tapish in that respect. Yeah, yeah. There's tons of potential there. I want to ask you specifically. I want to get into so much of your career, but. Um, uh, in preparing to talk to you, so my favorite Greg Kinn album is Contagious. I love every song. Oh, that's that a album. good one. Yes, it is. And I have so many questions about that album because I remember seeing the video for Reunited on Friday Night Videos when I was like 11 years old and loving that song and loving the video and wondering where in the world did it go? Why? Oh, was, man. Why was that song not a hit? Where did this album go? Everything. Oh, there and, and there hangs a, story. a tale, my yes, friend. Yes, I want to hear this story. There hangs a tale because... 
we were in position, you know, we just come off of the breakup song. And that was like top 10. So yeah. like we were, you know, we were loaded for bear and the last, you know, the video just, you know, it should have been there. Yeah. Uh, I think yeah. we were coming off of, uh, we were coming off of uh, Jeopardy, if mm -hmm. I'm not mistaken. I believe so. And so we had a lot of, we had a lot of forward momentum. Yeah. Well, at the time we were signed to EA, which was Epic Asylum, Electra Asylum. Okay. Asylum Records, as our distributor for Berserkly. Uh and then no, you know we. Oh, geez, it's a, <laughs> it's a story that you know that's got everything and greed and everything. But basically, what happened was EMI came along and they dangled a humongoloid big fat check in front of me. Mm -hmm. And what can I say? I defected for the dough. Sure. And we sure. went there suddenly. And so this, the minute that they knew that we were not going to be on Electra Asylum, they stopped working the record. And that's why mm -hmm. Reunited, which started out as really promising, yeah. it probably would have been our biggest hit, was uh, kind of buried there. Uh, we still do it live, though. It's still, it's still great. It's Good. still a great song. Yeah, I love every song of that album. Uh, now, the video, is the same girl in the video the one from the Jeopardy video? Yeah, yeah, it is. And we, we tried to keep a, uh, a continuity going sure. between between all the videos, and that is the same girl. And, you know, it's, I, it's ironic. We did that in a warehouse in downtown San Francisco. Really? And the <laughs> guy was, uh, the, the, the director was a guy by the name of Joe Day. And Joe had directed all of our videos up at that point. We were, you know, he was, we were all of the, of the mind that they would all be, you know, the continuity would be so you could show all the videos together and it mm -hmm. would tell a story. Mm -hmm. So we, we, you know, we'd already done huge cast of thousands with Jeopardy. But, you know, when it came time for Reunited, he said, look, I really got an, an incredible idea. And it, it was the Wizard of Oz theme. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we had to, uh, we, and it was, a you talk about a cast of thousands. I mean, there were men on stilts there, for <laughs> yeah, God's sake. Yeah, yeah. And I remember that, of course, this was our heavy partying days. I think mm -hmm. this must have been... 83, 84. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember uh, the other guys in the band, they're all dead now, so I could talk about them. But <laughs> uh, I remember uh, Steve Wright had, you know, he had the, he had this incredible uh, lion's head. Mm -hmm. You know, he was the lion, and mm -hmm. then it was a tin man that yeah. was uh, Greg Douglas. And, uh, you know, I remember, and uh, Gary Phillips was the scarecrow. Mm -hmm. And they had built in coke straws into their costumes, so they no could just way. lean over and yeah, just no do lines, everything. Excuse me for a second. They got <laughs> and you know the guy had this got this elaborate lion's head on, uh -huh. and he's got the and he and he actually had the straw built in, so he could just lean over and do blow all day. That's amazing. Once you were in, you couldn't. You know, you you had to stay in you know, in costume for right. long periods of time. I remember we had contacted a bunch of people for um, little people 
for mm -hmm. the uh, for the Munchkins, mm -hmm. and a lot of them were original Munchkins. I wondered about from, that. Yeah, from the actual yeah from the yeah. there was there was a there was a union I believe right. there was a group of them. Their baby mice had like a half a dozen were uh, remaining sure. and yeah. that, that just survived. And we so we hired them all. And uh, we hired a, you know, a whole bunch of little people. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I really, and then this was, of course, and here's another guy. I'm not going to speak ill of the dead, but, you know, Gary Phillips was, was kind of the Keith Richards of the band. Uh -huh. And he was always, uh -huh. you know, he always was surly. And, yeah. and uh, we, we had, you know, had to do this one scene again and again and again. And, and, it, because the little people were out of position. So, and, uh, <laughs> so mm -hmm. Gary is listening. I'm not doing, I'm doing it one more time. And you, you tell these fucking midgets <laughs> that they better get it right. So this guy comes over, this little guy comes over and kicks him in the shins. Oh man. And he goes, it's little people. You asshole, little people. It's not midgets. It's little people. So they walked. They all walked. No way. <laughs> yeah, they walked, and then we had to get actual children to to be stand-ins. No way. And so everybody got their kids in the in the in that final in the couple of final frames of that video. You can tell that the the men the Munchkins are are right. you know actual children at that oh, point. Oh, that's classic. Now I I was curious about that because you. Do so, I mean you're you're a decent kind of comedic actor in those videos. Were you ever approached to do a, a, a episode of Miami Vice or any of the other things that all you know the Phil Collinses and the Greg yeah, and the Glenn Fries you know, actually, the world did? back in the day of God, I guess it was '83 when Jeopardy was number one. We did I did get a couple of feelers and I did a a, a TV pilot for a show called Club Rhino. And it was my buddies at Rhino Records uh, that put on like a variety show with just weird, you know, the weirdest yeah. stuff you can imagine because it was Rhino Records. Right. You know, and I, and, and I remember the first show, you know, Michael Pollard was there, our guest, hey. and Cher was in there. And it was it was a trip. And for some reason, the, the, the show just didn't get picked up or mm. uh, I don't remember, but we did okay. it, and it was it, it was a big success. And I had done a couple of other shows, but you know, I, to me, acting was it was too weird for me. I mean, oh, really? I, yeah, I, I was much more comfortable with a guitar in my yeah. in my hands. You know that yeah. to me, acting you had to like look in the mirror and mm -hmm. you know work mm -hmm. on your facial expressions, and right. and that was just crap to me. You know, yeah. I yeah. I didn't care about my facial expressions i was just listening to the music so right but you know if i had done so many videos and so many interviews that by that time in my life it was you know mm -hmm. it was second nature so i didn't really think about it and it okay. was never worked it was always easy stuff yeah okay i was just curious now, I, something else I've always been curious about, when you jumped ship for the new label, and the first album on this label is Citizen Kin, which does have one top 40 hit on it, Lucky. By the way, I mentioned this because we're going to sprinkle in snippets of these songs so that we oh, great. get a bit of context of what we're talking about. But that album is so different. 
And uh, yes, it's uh, it's not the Greg Kin that we love up to that. You know, the, there's the. I, and yeah, I'm going to talk I, a little bit. What, I, I look back on those times, and I, I don't know what I was thinking, but a lot of the, it was during that period, and this is probably my least favorite period of rock and yeah. roll. Yeah. The big hair period, you know, the yeah. the late eighties, the the Kaja Goo Goos, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. Duran Duran, all that kind of stuff. And when I think we were just trying to, you know, feel our oats a little. Although I do love Lucky, and it's a great yeah, song to do live. You're right about that. The, the album, look, you know, in in retrospect, you look at the album; it doesn't hold up like the other Berserkly albums. No, do. it sounds like you're being. I didn't know if you did it on your own or if they were sort of forcing you to capitulate to the current trends. Because it well, just seems yeah, like... it was like it was kind of half and half, and okay. you know, right at that point when it looked like the the band was teetering, mm-hmm. you know, on the brink of we whatever. Uh, that's when. Joe Satriani joined the band, yeah. and I was like, hey, yeah. you know what? Give me a new lease on life. Let this guy come right. in and just play his butt off. Right. And at that time, you know, when Joe came on, I believe it was our last EMI album, uh, he just fit like a glove, man. And I'd always wanted Joe in the band. And he, he was in a band called The Squares. Mm in Berkeley, California. And they, the squares actually used to open for the Greg Kim band oh. back when we were playing a lot of the clubs like the Keystone and, uh, the long branch and places like that. Uh, it, it was, um, it, you know, it was, it was in the air and it was a lot of gigs. Uh, you know, and I remember I, I just, a fan just sent me, you know, you were, you mentioned something else about the knack uh-huh. a few minutes ago. I just made this mental connection. Some, a fan had sent me a, a handbill from when we played, God, it must've been 1978 or nine. Huh. Uh, and, and, and it was at, we were at the, uh, the marquee club in London and Thursday night, the knack Friday night, the great Kim band. I oh, remember man. we went down and we hung out with the knack while they were playing. It was our first 
gig in in Europe, and it was really exciting. And uh, and the marquee, I mean, it's like wow, you know that yeah. that's that's where the uh, that's where rock and roll history was absolutely. made. Yeah, absolutely. Huh. Yeah. Well, how did you even cross paths with Joe Strat- Satcher? I mean, you know, he's this very technical guitar god now, but at the time he was playing power pop with you. How did that even, yeah. how'd that happen? Did you see the signs of the Joe that he would become back then? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. In fact, I told Joe that he was too good for my band. Yeah, yeah I can see <laughs> I that. I said, Joe, look, I'm a three chord guy. Yeah. Let's face it. Right. I'm closer to, uh, to uh, like John Fogarty than yeah. I am to Jimi Hendrix right now, yeah. and, and and you know you're a million you're a million chord guy. I'm a three yeah. chord guy. You're a million chord guy, mm-hmm. and eventually uh, you got to go out and do your own thing. And of course, he made history later that year when he quit the band and he made Surfing with the Alien, yep. and the rest was his, history. But uh, wow, you know, I still I, that I mean I still wow. My son, Rye, who's currently the lead guitar player in the Greg Kin Band, uh, my son, Rye, when he was about 15 or 16, uh, was took, took guitar lessons from Joe Satriani. No way. And this is when Joe was in the squares, and he was still, he, you know, he wasn't famous yet, and he had, uh, you know, a handful of students, and one of them was my son, Rye, which is now why he's such a great guitar player and if you ever see him jam with uh with satch it's pretty it's pretty awesome Mm, that's amazing that's amazing well uh one thing that i was uh i've noticed so in getting ready to talk i mean i have a number of greg kin albums but in getting ready to talk to you i've been going back over especially the early stuff and yeah, because you're one of those artists, like a lot of people back then, who went through numerous albums hoping for a hit and never quite yeah. getting one forever. And when I was until finally the breakup song, obviously in like '81. five or six albums prior to that and one thing i noticed is that those early albums sound more bay area than i would have guessed or that i've ever you know you being from in the same area as like jefferson airplane and grateful dead it's not that far removed the early greg kin stuff you know what i mean yeah and you know i we did a lot of gigs with all of those bands we opened for the dead a whole bunch a whole bunch of times 
for the Starship and the airplane and Bob Skaggs and Steve yeah. Miller. And, yes. Uh, you know, other guys in my graduating class. Right. You know, like Huey Lewis or Journey. There you go. You know, yep. uh, became superstars, just locked into that that Bay Area groove. And you're right. We did have a certain sound. Yeah. And nowadays, you know, now that it's, quote, you know, classic rock, mm -hmm. uh, you look back on it and it really does have a certain sound. You know, you listen to a very East Coast band like Bon Jovi. Mm hmm you know, mm -hmm. you, they listen, you listen to them, it sounds like a New York or a New Jersey right. band. it does. You know, yeah. it really sounds East Coast, and you can always tell an L.A. band, you know, yeah. because they're, they're, there's, a, there's a certain flavor. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I'm telling you, bar none, there were more great bands pound for pound in the Bay Area, I think, yeah. than anywhere. Yeah, yeah, and I, I hadn't noticed before how much your early stuff sounds like those Bay Area bands in the early oh, yeah. 70s. Because we think of yeah. you as this yeah. king of power pop, which you are, but it's almost like in 1981 with the breakup song, you figured, not, this sounds reductive, I don't mean for it to, but it's almost like Greg Kinn discovered fun. Greg Kinn discovered yeah. how to make his songs and his albums a lot of fun and be the fun guy. And that's when it sort of took off. Did you yeah. notice that? Yeah, you know, I noticed it when I, all the pictures of me live, uh -huh. I had this big old grin on my face. <laughs> I was right. always smiling. And yeah. I, I realized, you know, it, I, this reminds me of a really great story involving my mother. God bless her soul. She's in heaven now. But mm -hmm. my mother was a big fan of the Greg Kinn Band. <clears throat> and, and my mother knew... Joan Jett's mother mm. and a lot of times we'd play with Joan and she'd drive up and see us at you know Jersey or wherever we were playing and I remember my mother walking up Joan Jett had just come off stage they were opening for us she'd just come off stage she was all sweaty you know she was you know in her glory mm -hmm. and my mother walks up to her <laughs> and she says honey you're such a pretty girl why don't you smile? <laughs> smile. Smile and everybody will smile with you. And I go, Mom, you can't tell Joan Jett to smile. She's not a smiler. Right. And I girl, when you looked at I looked at all the old pictures of, you know, me and Joan or Joan on stage and she always had that you know, that rock and roll look on her face. She yeah. didn't you know, yeah. she didn't she wasn't a smiler. No, she was and a I thought starler. to myself, Jesus, most people must look at my you know, pictures of me, and I look like I'm. You know, I'm like I'm, like it's in summer camp. You yeah, know, I'm just yeah. having it's arts and crafts day at summer camp. Oh, that's great. Yeah, those early albums of yours too. They would they would be peppered with the occasional sort of longer jam. One of my favorites is Remember. Just couldn't last. I 
I like that song. Oh a yeah. Lot. It's a, but then oh, it, you yeah. know once you become the pop power pop guy, you don't you don't play those songs anymore. Was this is this what I'm asking? I guess is that is this a conscientious uh, you know career change or profile change or I'm going to change up who I am. I'm going to put on a skinny tie instead of being the yeah. the hippie. I'm going to do this differently. Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I think a lot of it is rediscovering myself. Uh, you know, I've yeah. had to, over the years, I have reinvented myself many times. I, bet. I reinvented myself as a morning radio guy, I, as a novelist, mm -hmm. as a, you know, as a singer, as a, as a songwriter. And, you know, all the, the constant, the only constant is change. Yeah. And I remember, I remember when we, we were just worked on the rekindled, the last mm -hmm. Greg King album, mm -hmm. I really felt good about it. And I remember thinking, gee, this is easy. Yeah. <laughs> Why was this so hard back in, you know, 20 years ago? Yeah. This is easy. Yeah. And of course, half of it is the fact that uh, I got a great band, and my sure. son is, and everything like that. Robert Barry, who's the bass player in the band, actually plays all the instruments in the band, mm -hmm. and uh, he owns the studio that we rehearse in and record in down in Campbell, which is only like you know thirty, forty minute drive for me from here. Mm. So it's you know it. Uh, it's it's easy and i really look forward to it every wednesday we meet at the studio we hang around kick around song ideas or you know uh yeah. you know whatever whatever pleases us usually somebody has something that's great. and uh it it, it really uh, the continuity is good it, it yeah. feels it feels like uh like it used to and it, and you're right i i did i but I, in my case, I think I was rediscovering, you know, where I was from. Because mm. if you look, look back and pl look, play stuff like, oh, you know, like For You or mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Madison Avenue, which were mm -hmm. two songs on the second album, yeah. you know, they kind of they kind of pointed the way where yeah, we were going. Yep. And you, and you could look down the road and see, uh, you know, what was going to be in store for us, yeah. you know, in, in the near future. And I could also, I just started playing Remember Again. Oh, <laughs> really? Great. Oh, yeah, you know what jam. happened was I got this really cool new 12-string uh, acoustic guitar made at 
made of graphite. Mm. It's called a rain song guitar. It's completely made of graphite. And it sounds great through the PA. So I'm thinking, wow, I, now I can do remember. And, Excellent. you know, you can really hear it. It's, 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 it's a good one. That's great. Um, I was going to mention Rekindled later, but it came up. So let's get into this. It, a couple of years ago, for anyone who doesn't remember or know, you put out your first album in forever, this Rekindled. And yeah. as a fan of yours, it was. it's just nice to have Greg Kim back. I once knew a girl Well, she was fine and dandy All she wore was pink She was just like candy Are these songs that you've been, you know, while you're a DJ and you're writing books, or are you writing songs on the side and thinking, I'm going to put these together at some point, or was it a burst of well, creativity, you know, or I, what? I, I kind of was, you know, I was stockpiling ideas, okay, but I wasn't writing the songs. So the songs were all fresh, because I knew that if I wrote them, that's what, that's, you know, that was it. Yeah. So I had to, like, let them be fresh. So I just kept notes you know i keep a notebook uh yeah. with all kinds of ideas and songs and stuff in it and uh you know and then i you know, whipped it out i remember the first rehearsal that we did the first song that we did was big pink flamingos oh, nice. and it was so it was so much fun it was like right. oh my god let's just do a whole <laughs> album like this is wonderful right and we do, and it was really, it was kind of like rediscovering the how much fun it was, and 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 how loose, and it was just a, you know, it it was something that you, I I I think about this now because I'm getting old, mm -hmm. so I got to think about my legacy. You sure. know, I'm a grandpa now. <laughs> I got two grandchildrens, grandsons, Goodness. two kids, and by the way. They're already starting to play the guitar a little bit. Really? So, and, <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine in about oh, 10 years, there'll be three generations of kin in the great kin band. <laughs> That's a blessing, though. I mean, come on. Yeah, man. wouldn't you know that what be I mean? cool? Yes. Uh, but, you know, and I, I love the fact that, uh, that, you know, we're a musical family. Yes. You know, uh, I bring I bring them to the occasional gig that's appropriate, obviously. Like, sure. we do a lot of uh, county fairs and places like that. Well, like, for instance, we got a, uh, 
I think we're going to be playing in uh, in the Alameda County Fair this summer. Cool. And uh, that's a perfect gig for the kids because they can come and they go on some rides and hang out. And then they see Grandpa's band. Oh, my God. <laughs> and there's Uncle Rye on lead guitar. So it really is. And they love it, too. Good. They're out there dancing, and they just love it. Good, good. Um, speaking of dancing, I, again, going back over your catalog like I have been ready uh, lately to get ready to talk to you, I hadn't picked up on the fact before of how many – reggae-influenced songs are on your albums. And and one of my favorites is Sound System. such a great track. yeah and i was and i just started wondering was greg a big reggae guy i mean oh yeah i was I, I was an early i was an early convert to reggae really i remember the my good buddy the lead singer for earthquake the late john dukas mm. turned me on to reggae had all those chart busters trojan albums and yeah. stuff mm -hmm. and i you know it was like oh it just opened up my eyes and i remember we he took me to see uh the harder they come you know with uh, yeah. with jimmy cliff the movie, movie and it blew my mind yeah. so yeah i was an early convert to the reggae scene and i loved it like as a matter of fact i remember because and because you're you're pushing a lot of buttons here but <laughs> the idea for that song came from gary phillips gary was a big reggae guy too and he had that that chorus that really infectious you know sound system mm -hmm. you've got to pick me up and it just clicked in my yeah. mind so i took that and just wrote the 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 verses we plugged them together and man that was an instant tune i remember you know all the great songs that the ones that you look back on Mm -hmm. write themselves yeah you know that yeah. was one song that wrote wrote itself like in about an hour you know wow. i remember sitting down with gary and just messing around and after a while we had a song which just mm -hmm. it was that easy yeah uh speaking of genres another one of my favorite songs of yours is every love song
I love that one because it's so funky. And it's in keeping with Jeopardy, it's almost, again, going back to this, you sort of adapting what might be out there in the ether and applying it to your own music. Are you getting into funk at the time? And are you sort of like, I can, oh. I, I like the groove. I can do something with this. Because those two songs, they sort of lump together as this like really funky example of what Greg Kinn can do. Yeah, we did. We we had our funky uh, stage there. Really? And there were a couple of songs that uh, that I, that never made the album that were even funkier. Really, uh, I re- I remember, uh, uh, and a lot of those ideas were originated with Steve Wright. Steve Wright was my original writing partner and the bass player in the in the Greg Kin band. But you know, as a as a bass player, this guy was like El Funko, and and he used to you know, and he made every sound check every rehearsal everything he made everything special Mm. because like we'd set up for a sound check at some dismal club and nobody's in a really great mood and you know suddenly he's playing some riff that he just made up and then he's hey try this try this he get the guitar player to come over you know Mm -hmm. and then he get the the trumpet you know the next within 15 minutes you're you're like jamming a new song it's Mm -hmm. like wow yeah. You know, and I I remember this was way back in the day. We used to do a lot of gigs with Tom Petty, and I remember mm. Tom telling me, he said, you know, every every band has got to have a guy that kicks everybody else's ass. Yeah, that's the guy that says, "Come on, we got to rehearse. Yeah, come on, we got to come up with a new song. Let's go in the studio." You know, like mm-hmm. that guy. Mm-hmm. You know, and everybody else is like, you know, sitting around. Just, going to nightclubs this guy is like and in the, in in my band that was steve wright he was uh-huh. always and he made everything and that was that's why you know stuff like uh a, a lot of the stuff that i had written early like moulin rouge and mm-hmm. uh, island was another one yeah. you know they were leaning towards that reggae sound i hadn't quite really nailed it yet Searching for 
Canal System was a good example, man. I, I love that song. Good. Yeah, me too. I do too. Um, why are your albums so hard to find on CD? Now, and let me preface that question by saying I think I read recently that you only within the last few years took over took back over ownership of your music. Yeah. Correct? That is so correct. all these years that... have you not been making money off of like Jeopardy and stuff like that? Uh no, I have actually. I okay. I've always retained and this is in a world where everyone at at some point, all my friends had to sell their Yeah their publishing rights at some point along because they needed money along right. the line. Right. You know, and I won't name names, but you know, four or five, you know, they're all household names Yeah. and they all had to sell. Now they all, they made good money of them. Like, you know, in some cases they'd make a million bucks. Yeah. Maybe in other cases like half a million or 300,000. Right. It was always a big payout. Yeah. And over the years, I won, I never did that. Mm-hmm. And because I was making money, by the way, I was doing, you know, morning radio. And so every time something came up for auction, like, for instance, uh, our last couple of albums were sold to Sanctuary. Mm. Sanctuary was purchased by Sony and, you know, and so on and mm-hmm. so on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I made an offer and they they took it. You know, oh, I, nice. it was great. It was really nice, by the way, to be in a position where I could whip out the checkbook and just because all my, my my songs are like my they're like my my babies. Absolutely. They're my children. I love them and I want them all to be you know successful and yeah. I, that's why I brought them all home. Good and even the EMI stuff, I bought it all back now. What that means is that I can now reissue the stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I've reissued a couple of CDs, uh, the best of and rekindle mm-hmm. and a couple of other CDs. Mm-hmm. All the others are available for download yeah. at the greatkin.com website. And so they are available. And as the years go by, I will be releasing them in CD format. Okay. Although hell, by the time I do that, there'll be something besides right. right. There'll be some new thing that you know, yeah. some bug you put in your ear. I know. I'm still. I I have downloaded versions of your albums like Contagious, but I'm still old school too, and I like having CDs. Yeah. Not, I don't collect yeah. vinyl because I would spend all my money on records. But um, yeah, I'm always hoping that I'm going to find you know a Greg Kinn CD that I don't have and a. Goodwill or something like that, and they're never there, and they go for like yeah. lots of money on Amazon used. And it's, yeah, they're, I just, I'm, I'm eminently collectible. <laughs> okay. and I have, yeah. Uh, over yeah. the years, and you know what? If you count all the European and the one-offs and the weird, you know, the weird mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I must have like fifty albums out. Probably. Yeah. You know, I remember when we, I would, I would be, you know, stop at a town and some guys would come in to you know and i'd I'd wind up you know signing albums i'd never seen before right right. you know like this is the italian greatest hits collection (laughs) oh my (laughs) that's right uh and you know it's interesting because uh uh jeopardy was a huge hit in europe Mm. and i i won the medium award that year as the best first uh best um international artist nice so when when we went over there you know a lot of people thought we were 
like a dance band. You know what I mean? They uh -huh. thought, oh, yeah, the Jeopardy. These guys are going to be El Funko. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but well, you know, when we used to go over there, when we taught, we toured incessantly. I mean, I remember starting back in 78, we toured, you know, Europe again and again, mm -hmm. and we played everywhere. Wow. Uh, all the, all the places, you know, all the, mm -hmm. you know, it's great memories that, you know, I'm thinking about writing my memoirs mm. at some point That'd in the next couple of years. And I, I remember all this stuff, like, you know, playing at the Paradisio with mm -hmm. Ian Drury and the Blockheads. Mm, and good stuff. Maybe, you know, oh, God, it was just like uh, one thing after another. I remember playing this this gig in Rotterdam in, in Holland where everybody in that place was stoned. They had a hash bar. <laughs> and everybody was whacked out of their course. And they, the headliner was Herman Brood, and his wild romance. And I just, I, 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 everybody else was like, well, who's Herman Brood? He said, oh, the, these guys are the Stones of Holland. You're gonna, really? You've got to watch this. And, and they, they were unbelievable. Really? I've never they heard of them. Unbelievable. And the guy was so, I, you know, he, he was falling down drunk, and he, yet he was great. Oh, man. I've never even heard of them. That's great. You, you yeah, got it. I, mean, Brew, I remember playing. He was married to Nina Hagen. Do you remember Nina Hagen? Sure. She had orange yep. hair. She was yeah. uh, she was a German punk singer. Yeah. I played a gig with her in Berlin. Wow. At right uh, one block away from Checkpoint Charlie, <laughs> at the edge of the free world. This is before the Berlin Wall was was yeah. torn down. I remember we played a whole bunch of gigs. In fact, I had a special State Department visa, so I could go and and be behind the Iron Curtain. So, like we we played uh, in uh, in East Berlin. You know, they couldn't yeah. pay us or anything. It was just kind of just you know just to say we did it. Wow! Uh, but it was re great. it was really I'm telling you it was <laughs> it was something I will That's never crazy. forget. I bet. I bet. Um, before I forget, you were talking about people selling back their their publishing and everything. I um, I have a feeling you'll know who this is. A year or two ago, I had Alex Call on here. Oh yes. Uh, oh who, yeah. You know, from Clover Bay Area guy wrote eight six seven five three zero nine. And yeah. yeah, he doesn't own the rights to that song anymore. He had to sell them at some point. And he probably made decent money off of it, but you know, it's yeah. just a shame that. I, I knew I knew Alex back in those days, and he, you know, it wasn't just that; it was uh, was it Power of Love, and yeah. he had a couple of them. Yeah, he did. And, and he uh, you're really right; tight. they they, yeah. they slipped out of his hands. And you know, that's one of the things you gotta, you know, like if my advice to any young musician, if you're a songwriter, hang on to your songs, hang on to your publishing. Don't sell it unless you absolutely positively have to. Right. Because, you know, you look at the mailbox money that I make on stuff like Jeopardy and Breakup Song, mm -hmm. and I can imagine how much they're not getting for their mm -hmm. songs, you yeah. know, from ASCAP checks. Yeah. Uh, and it's, a, you know, it's, it's wonderful that I had the opportunity to buy all my stuff back. And I, I really got, I, I tell you, man. Yeah. I thank my lucky stars that I was able to do that because, okay. you know, looking back, man, I, 
the, the bail box money from all those hits mm-hmm. put both of my kids through college and you know yeah at yeah. least one ex-wife has got a house so everybody's <laughs> happy <laughs> everybody's doing all right um now so tour is touring where it's at now are you still you're not still in radio anymore are you is no no i um i've been out now for about two and a half three years okay and uh i I got the uh we released uh last summer we released uh rekindled and i'm working as a matter of fact working on the next album right now i got a couple of songs already down on tape Okay. So that's excellent. We're and we're looking forward to a lot of touring this summer. Yeah, uh, we'll be out there probably with Eddie and uh, Rick Springfield, and uh, we're, I'm going to be doing some power pop dates excellent. with uh, my old buddy Tommy Tutone. Speaking excellent. of yep. Jenny, Jenny, yep. Uh, there's a guy right there. He's been around the block a couple times. I had him on but, too. Uh, we talked as well. Oh uh, yeah, yep. but you know what? He's a, he's a great guy. Uh, I love playing with him. In fact, I, I I did a tour with him and Rick Springfield last summer, and it was a it was a hoot. Excellent. And I got to hang with uh, with the man. You know, he's yeah. he's a uh, he, he's a cultured individual. Yeah, <laughs> I bet. <laughs> well, I'm in Denver, so I hope you can pass through Denver because I've never seen you live. I mean, I was young. You know, you quit oh, when yeah. I was like well, 11 we're really or 12. good, man. I believe it. I believe the it. band is real. The band is super good. I, I especially now with my son on lead guitar, yeah, and Robert Barry on the bass. Uh, we got Dave Lauser uh, from the uh, Sammy Hagar group, yeah. and he was also in the the Cabo Wabos. Mm-hmm. So you know, and this guy, he's like a wild man on the drums. He's like Keith Moon. Yeah. So I, I just uh, and and you know it's fun to be out there playing yeah. again. Yeah, I really I missed it. You know right. uh, that that long stint on the radio. Lately, you know the last couple of weeks, because you know we haven't we haven't really started up touring yet. But I've been on a creative jag. I've been really? writing a whole bunch of songs and uh, short stories and stuff. And I, you know, it, it's weird. I, I guess the fact that it's it's raining outside. Must have stoked uh-huh. my creative juices. Amazing. Good for you, man. That's great. And the fact that people, you have an audience that still cares and an outlet to yeah. get that stuff out Isn't there. Isn't that that's wonderful? Yeah. I, I, I'm. I thank my lucky stars. Yeah. Not everybody has that. I talk to a lot of them. You know, you're really lucky. That's great. Okay. Last bit. You. Uh, this is great. I. I've been a fan of your, you're one of my first musical memories, Greg, when I was a little boy. So this is really great. I'm 45 now. So your heyday was when I was first kind of awakening to music. Um, I want to know if there, I want to know your favorite story. I want to know, when you look back, you were just rambling off these shows in Europe with Joan Jett and all these people. And you're, we're sitting here like, Man, Greg Kinn knows a lot of people. What's your favorite story when you sit back and you just think, I cannot believe this happened to me. What is that thing? Oh, geez, man. There's so many. I, I, I Let me think of one here. Okay. Uh, well, there's the famous drug-stiffing dog story. <laughs> I don't know uh, if I know this. Tell we me. were playing, and I, I even remember the place. I, it was, uh, I forgot the name of the place. It was a... It was a little town, Hobart, Hobart, Indiana. 
<laughs> tiny little town, couple of hours drive south of, you know, Chicago. Mm-hmm. And we're playing in there. It was the summertime. And, you know, they blocked off the two streets of Hobart. And they were, uh, they were you know, they were having a big festival. And we were headlining. There were three or four bands before us. And, you know, we were in the, uh, they had a little, you know, like a, like an Airstream, you know, mm-hmm. like a, uh, a Winnebago for a dressing room. Right. And it started raining, you know, so we had an hour delay. You know, it's like, you know, we can't go on when it's raining. And we waited and waited. And finally, you know, it stopped raining about an hour and a half later. And, of course, my guys, during that particular period of time, you couldn't leave my guys unsupervised Mm -hmm. for very long (laughs) so of course there was a case of beer in there so they drained that then they then they smoked up about a half an ounce of pot they started doing lines and finally when the door opened the guy says okay mr kin it's time for you (laughs) the door he opened the bill smoke billowed out it was like a cheech and chong movie It it was coming out billowing out and uh, so we go up on stage, and we all plug in. And he says, "Hey, look! Right before you're gonna, you know, start your set, uh, the mayor's gonna come out. He's gonna make a presentation." I said, "Okay, great." No, didn't even think about it. <clears throat> so we're plugged in, and uh, the mayor comes out, and the chief of police comes out for Hobart, Indiana, and mm-hmm. he says, uh, "You know, whatever, Chief Oshevsky, uh uh, we, the uh, humble, grateful people of Hobart, Indiana, would like to present you with this brand new drug-sniffing dog. <laughs> and they bring this gigantic German Shepherd, man. This thing, you could have put a, like a saddle on it. You could have rode it. It was huge. Yeah. And he comes out. He goes right for me. He, right. he makes a beeline. He starts smelling my pockets. <laughs> so I'm, I'm standing there and looking, and I could see that the chief of police, in his mind, the, the, the wheels are turning. Is it mm-hmm. hmm, drug sniffing dog? Yeah. Is guy, this long haired guy. He's guy <laughs> sniffing, and I didn't know what to do. So I started the set. I just went one, two, three, four, <laughs> and, it, and it was so loud that the jog did a standing broad jump of about six feet, and and took off. Man, I yes. mean, it just freaked it out. Uh, needless to say, we left immediately after. I the bet show. you did. What a great distraction, though. That is yeah, the that's, best. A, that's a true story, too. That man. is so good. All uh, right, on. Well, look, Greg, I've loved you for most of my life. Thank you for talking with me. Well, thank you. It was such an honor. There you have it, Greg Kinn. I just, I mean, isn't he kind of the perfect hustle guest? When you consider how often his name comes up and uh, just the trajectory of his career, I mean, it's perfect, isn't it? I had mentioned that my favorite Greg Kinn album is from 1984. It's called Contagious. And this is, I want to play another song off of that album. And this is called Rock. And tell me if it doesn't sound like it could be the sequel to Jeopardy, the song that we, you know, huge hit that we kicked off this episode with, right? It does to me. It's got kind of a similar vibe. He, When he is good, he is so, so good. I hope I get to see him live here one of these days. Anyway, next week we are hearing from, next week we have another legendary producer. 
And uh, it's a rock producer, and he was especially huge in the 80s, although his career spans the 70s and the 80s and into the 90s. Uh, tons and tons of work that you know and love. I guarantee it. This is another one of those epic conversations with a legendary producer. I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Huge thanks, as always, to my man, right-hand man, Yan the Man Makiewicz. Thanks, buddy, for everything that you do. You guys should know by now to find our page on Facebook. Like it. Stay in contact with us on there. Uh, you can send us an email, thehustlepod at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter, at thehustlepod. Um, we have new episodes coming out every Tuesday. I don't think this week we have a bonus episode. Hopefully everyone got to hear Tim Pierce our bonus episode from this past weekend. Uh, the ep- the first when it first came out, there were a couple of technical glitches that got fixed. So if you heard the version that had that and didn't have a midsection and a, a like a silent spot for a second in there, delete that one and, and re-download, and you'll get the the fixed version. Anyway, thanks everybody. We will talk to you next week. <laughs>